0: You're listening to For the Record with Tess Hurd. I'm Tess Hurd, and this is For the Record. And welcome back to another episode of For the Record with Tess Hurd. I'm Tess Hurd, and this is For the Record. I hope that you all are having an incredible week and an even more incredible Friday, or whatever day it is that you're listening to this on. Maybe you prefer your true crime on a Saturday morning before the kids get up, where you can sit in silence on your front porch, drinking your perfectly brewed cup of coffee, before diving into your favorite murder. Or maybe you prefer your true crime on a random Tuesday afternoon and you use it to motivate you not to do anything too crazy while folding all of your husband's underwear. At least, that's what I do. But regardless of when you listen to the podcast, I just want to say that I'm glad you're here and thank you so much for listening to this episode. So I am just going to breeze past all of the chit chat and really just kind of get started in this case. This is a case that I've been working on for about a month now. I first heard about it probably close to a year ago, but it's not something that I ever thought that I would cover on my own podcast. A year ago, I didn't even think about having my own podcast. At least not a true crime one. But I'm really liking doing the true crime stuff, so no complaints there. However, this case is one of those that really made me question if I wanted to continue listening to true crime or not. The details of this case are beyond disturbing. And I'm going to go ahead and give everyone a trigger warning. This case is rough. If you're sensitive, if you're squeamish, if you don't like gruesome, gory things, then you need to skip this episode. It is not for you in any way, shape, or form this case is going to rock you and that's probably an understatement so I just want to give you guys a warning right now if you are squeamish or you do not like the gruesome gory things do not listen to this episode I repeat do not listen to this episode okay so if you're still listening get ready for one heck of a wild ride this case takes place back in the 1960s but before we really dive into what happens In the case itself, we're going to talk a little bit about the subject of today's case. Now I am going to go ahead and apologize because this case does take place in Canada, and so there is a lot of French names and places that I have no business trying to pronounce. But we are going to give it a shot. So, we are going to go back to May 16th, 1947, to the breathtakingly beautiful Saguenay Valley, Quebec, Canada. Now, when I tell you this place is breathtakingly beautiful, I mean, I have seen pictures of a lot of very pretty places, but this place is absolutely stunning think of like a sea town like what are they called like the kind of the places that you see in like Maine where you have like these beautiful little towns all around the sea except it's not a sea it's the Sugune River and this river has brought in like all kinds of tourists and everything especially in the past decade or so and it is just oh my goodness it is beautiful while doing some of the research they have like three different species of whales in that river like how do you have whales in a river I've never heard of whales in a river before. I mean, come on, that's incredible. But I'm getting off track here. So, 1947 in Saguna Valley, Hyacinth and Piriette Theriot welcomed their second child. A boy who they would name Roche Theriot. Now again, I'm going to repeat. I probably am not getting these pronunciations right, so please don't hold it against me. I'm using Google Translate to help, and I am trying my best. But I'm not the Google voice, so I can't make it perfect. But Roche Theriot was born, and thus this world became a little bit darker. Now... Roche would say later that his childhood was horrible. But if you really look into the background of his childhood, there really wasn't that much to complain about. He was the second oldest of seven children, so he grew up with a lot of siblings. He was incredibly bright and excelled in all areas of schooling he absolutely loved reading reading was one of his favorite things to do and he would literally eat books like they were candy I mean he wouldn't like eat the pages and stuff but you know he would eat the words you know what I mean so as he grew older Roche became very well known for his vast knowledge of all of the things that he had read and learned throughout his young life. But not only was Roche very smart and bright, he was also very adventurous and honestly kind of stupid. It was reported on Murderpedia that Roche would go outside as a child and play with bears, Now, where I'm from, we don't just have bears roaming around. Like, you may see one out in the middle of nowhere very, very, very rarely. And if you go like five hours to our east, then bears are all over the place. But where I'm at, bears aren't really a thing. I cannot imagine being like, oh, there's a bear outside. I'm going to go play with it. Like, I don't even like to go outside when there's a deer like I don't want to go play with a deer let me stay inside where nothing can get me and I'll play with my dog and my two cats like yeah that's that's my kind of life but Roche was not your typical child by any means despite being as bright and as intelligent as he was Roche only went to school through the seventh grade he had the option to continue his education but he decided not to and during this time it wasn't uncommon for children in this area I don't know if it was just in this area or if it was all around but a lot of children didn't pursue an education after the seventh or eighth grade so for whatever reason Roche decided he didn't want to do that either now I couldn't really find a whole lot about what he did for work in between this time and where some of the uh horrendous things start to happen but I'm getting a little bit of my head a little bit ahead of myself here. <laughs> um, so we're gonna take it back just a little bit. So when Roche was six years old, his family moved from the Sagune Valley to Thetford Mines in the eastern township. Now, I am not familiar at all with Canadian geography, so I don't know where that's at in relationship to Sagune. And honestly, I could have gotten on Google Maps and looked it up, but it's just been one of those days, and I really didn't feel like taking the time to do it. But yeah, so they moved from Sagune to Thetford Mines, and that is where Roche would essentially grow up from six years old and up. Now, some of the stuff that started to happen here will be reiterated, not reiterated, but it'll kind of play into what happens later on in the life of Roche Therio. So one of the things that Roche said was so awful about his childhood was the fact that his father was part of the Catholic Church And not only was he part of the Catholic Church, he was part of the White Berets. Now, I really couldn't find just a whole lot of information that made sense to me. So, if somebody can explain to me what the White Berets are in, like, a really dumbed-down version. Because everything that I read was, like, all in French. And even when it was in English, it was still, like, too much French to... For me to be able to understand. So a dumb noun English version of that. If somebody could please. But essentially what Roche's father would make him and his siblings do. Would be go door to door and hand out literature for the Catholic Church and the White Berets. And Roche absolutely hated doing this. I don't know why he hated doing this, but he hated doing this so much. So much so that as he grew older, he developed a distinct hatred for the Catholic Church and Catholicism as a whole. And later in life, he would actually use his platform to mock Catholicism. Is that the right word, Catholicism? Catholicism? I'm not entirely sure. But yeah, so this whole like White Beret thing, handing out the literature, blah, 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 he hated it so much. But while he hated the Catholic church and religion, he was very intrigued by other religions not so much in his younger years, but as he got older, he would develop a love for a specific religion, which we will get into. Again, I'm getting ahead of myself. Roche would eventually discover that the more that he complained about his life, the more attention he would get. And on top of his apparent good looks, which I personally do not understand, and his vast knowledge of a whole lot of different things. Roche loved attention. He craved attention, and despite the things that he used to get it, it still wasn't enough until he discovered that when he complained about his life, he would get even more of it and thus came the constant accusations of abuse towards his father everything that i found everything that i read would say that there was no Indication whatsoever of any kind, any way, shape, or form of abuse that happened to Roche as a child. Friends, family, neighbors, preachers, whatever, nobody had any kind of anything to say that would collaborate Roche's accusations. And so a lot of people believe that he was only saying those things to get more attention. And that's just really, really sad. Especially because at this time he was like, you know, probably in his late teens. And that's just, that's just sad. As Roche got older, he did begin to date and he did meet a young woman named Francine from a couple of towns over. I cannot remember the name of the town and I do not want to try to cite it without scouring through articles. I forgot to write it down so I do apologize. He and Francine would marry on November 11th 1967 when Roche was 20 years old. He and Francine would then have two children together, Roche Jr. and Francois, which that's such a cool name, Francois. Kind of makes me think of Fabio for some reason, and I really don't know why. At some point during their marriage, after their two sons were born, The Therios decided to move back to Thetford Mines. They had moved to the city, I believe, where Francine was from, and then they decided to go back to the Thetford Mines area later on. It was around this time that Roche's health would start giving him a lot of trouble, He ended up being diagnosed with stomach ulcers, and I've never had a stomach ulcer, but I know people who have, and they truly do sound horrendous. And Roche opted to have surgery to remove his stomach ulcers, and while that should have fixed the problem, complications from the surgery only made things even worse. Leaving Roche not only in excruciating pain, but also left him with something that is called dumping syndrome. I had to look up what dumping syndrome is, and basically to make it as simple as possible, it is where when you eat, your body does not digest the food And it literally just goes from, like, mouth to backside. And, like, it doesn't even really have time to digest. It just kind of comes out liquid. Which is horrible, disgusting, gross. You know, I can talk about murder, but I don't want to talk about this. So, (laughs) moving on. Understandably and I'm not trying to advocate for Roche in any way, shape, or form, but if you are living with some sort of chronic condition where you are in pain or you can't eat without immediately having to go to the bathroom, you're going to be kind of agitated and irritable. I don't live in constant pain, thank God, but I imagine that if I did... I would be pretty irritable too I mean give me one not even a whole day half an hour with a stubborn high blood sugar and I turn into the Incredible Hulk on steroids I'm telling you not pretty ask my husband it's not good sorry babe so Roche became much more irritable during this time frame and that caused his personality to change. And again, that's understandable. Whenever your body is doing things that you can't control and you're in a lot of pain and you really just have a hard time doing your day-to-day life, your simple tasks, I understand how that can make a person irritable and cause a person to have, like, major personality changes. But this... Is only where things get started, and things haven't even started yet. So Roche would take up drinking to help numb the physical pain of his issues. And of course, alcohol changes your personality as well. So not only was Roche irritable, but he was also drunk and he would continue to drink until he eventually would become addicted to alcohol. On top of this, Roche was using his health problems to teach himself about the body. About anatomy. About just the the entire human makeup. And also maybe sort of homeopathic medicines. Since his doctors botched him up so bad. I think that he had this idea that you know the all the cinnamon in the world can save you kind of stuff and because he was learning about all of this he was also learning about the anatomy and different body parts and this that and the other and he was becoming fascinated with Sex. I don't know any details. I don't want to know any details. The only thing that I know is that Francine really just wasn't all that interested, and I really can't blame her. So when Francine wasn't interested, Roche decided that he was going to look elsewhere for his uh, fun, I suppose. Now, one of the reasons why the family moved back to Thetford Mines was so that Roche could work on his woodworking skills. I don't know why he couldn't do that in the town that they were in before, but that's just what I read. So, he was working on his woodworking skills and was making all kinds of things, and he was also getting involved in politics. Now, the political platform is what he used to mock Catholicism, Catholicism, however you pronounce it, and he mostly only did that just to get back at his father for making him go door-to-door and hand out the white literature, so it's relevant, but not really relevant, but still kind of relevant. What really is relevant here is the woodworking. So what Roche would do was he would go out of town on these quote-unquote business trips to sell his woodworking items, but he was not actually selling his woodworking items. What he was actually doing was having various affairs with women from all of these different towns that he was going to see. Eventually, Francine would find out about the affairs. And on top of that, along with the lack of income and the alcoholism and the change in his personality, you know, she knew that just this wasn't really it for her. The icing on the cake for her was whenever their income got to a point where their home in Thetford Mines was repossessed by the bank and they had to move into this tiny little apartment in a really less than desirable place of the town and after that Francine was just like you know what no I'm not doing this I'm good. We're good. I'm going back home. So, she packed up her stuff, she took the boys, and she went back to her parents' house in whatever city that she was originally from. Whenever this happened, Rose decided that he was going to move in with one of the women who he had been having an affair with. Her name was Giselle. Now, there are a couple of Giselles in this story. This first Giselle is not the same as the Giselle that is going to come into the picture later. The real kicker about him going and living with Giselle, though, was that he wasn't actually sleeping there. Well, he was sleeping there, but instead of sleeping in the house with her, he was sleeping out in his van parked in the driveway. Because it was wrong for a man and woman to live together before they were married. But he was able to walk around and sleaze it up with whoever he wanted to. And that's no big deal. That's perfect logic. I mean, really, really. That's, that's absolute perfect logic. Gotta love it. So he was staying with Giselle, sleeping in his van... And somehow or another, he would come into contact with someone who was part of the Seventh Day Adventist Church. And I don't really know how this came to be, but this is really where things start to take off. So, Roche is learning all about the seventh day adventist church. He gets really involved with it. He ends up adapting their their diet. He gives up drinking. He is only eating like whole fresh foods and nothing processed or you know, I think that they may have either like a vegan or vegetarian diet. I'm not entirely sure. But he was just thriving on this stuff. And he even was able to get to where he was going out and selling, like, tracks and stuff for the Seventh Day of Innes Church. He was so enthusiastic about it. And because he was so good at this and because he had such a passion for it, the church decided to let him like kind of hold his own little workshops to quit smoking or you know whatever it is that they do and apparently this is how they get a lot of people to come in to their little hush hush church is through these little workshops that's you know teach you how to quit smoking or teach you how to have a better diet or whatever and I mean that's cult hello that's cult sorry not sorry that's cult but Roche would get so enthusiastic and so excited about this that other members of the church actually started to get kind of freaked out by him and the more that Roche would dig in to the Seventh-day Adventist beliefs the more that he would really want to do in the church and like as a whole I think that's really good you want to find what you believe and you want to get involved with a church that you are comfortable with that you have the same kind of heartbeat for where you are getting fed where your spirit is being ministered to you where you're growing where you're thriving but the the, um motivation behind what Roche was wanting to do was not to grow in his relationship with God but rather grow to the point where he was the man of power. One of the things that Roche really did actually like about the religion itself was that it was Old Testament based, which meant that the man had almost complete and total authority over the women. He loved the fact that they believed that the man could tell the woman exactly what to do, exactly where to go, exactly what to wear, exactly how to act, what she had to do for him and every aspect of a relationship, what she had to do for her family and her kids and everything. And he also really loved all of the apocalyptic end-of-the-world teachings that they would talk about in their teachings. After having all of these successful non-smoking healthy eating kind of workshops that the church allowed him to host, Roche began to develop a bit of a following and most of the people who were following him were women And this made Roche want to really be more than a workshop leader and take on the role of a pastor or whatever it is that they're called in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. priest prophets, I'm not entirely sure. But the church itself really wasn't good with that. And thus... Led the beginning of the split between Roche Therio and the Seventh day Adventist Church as a whole. Whenever this split happened, however, the followers that he'd gained from his workshops would follow him out of the church. And it wouldn't be much longer. Until they found themselves in a world of regret. In 1977, Roche decided to take his group of followers to a Seventh-day Adventist convention kind of thing. Where they spent several days in the great outdoors. It would be here in the rolling hills of Canada where Roche would have what he would describe as a holy experience with God. He was on a cliffside and whenever he was sitting on this cliffside, he said that he saw a blinding white light And heard the Lord speak to him and say that the ground that he was standing on was holy." That sounds kind of like the story of Moses in the burning bush. I'm not saying that he made it up, I believe that God can talk to people, but I don't know if I completely buy this or not. After this encounter with God on the cliffside on the holy ground, Roche would decide that it was time to take his followers to a whole new level. And that's where we are going to end the episode for this week. I guess I really didn't need to do the whole trigger warning for this episode because I wasn't expecting this to be two parts. But, you know, you gotta leave them hanging sometimes. So, come back next week to hear the rest of the story of Roche Therio and the cult that came from all of his insanely evil plans and ideas and mental state. So, thank you guys so much for listening. I so appreciate it. If you haven't already subscribed please hit that subscribe button if you're on youtube and that follow button if you are listening to this on your preferred podcast platform if you don't mind please leave a five-star review because you know that really helps your girl out if you are listening on youtube then please hit the like button Because that really helps boost my videos in the algorithm. And I'm really trying to get this out to as many people as I possibly can. You can find us on Facebook at ForTheRecord with Tess Heard. You can find us on Instagram at type.one.tess. I can also be found on threads there. And you can also find us on X. Formerly known as Twitter at for the record underscore th. If you have a case suggestion that you would like me to cover, or if you have any questions about this case or anything regarding really any true crime, then send me an email at for the record with me at gmail.com. Alright, guys, I can't wait to bring you the rest of this story. And until next week, the record will so reflect.